Happy hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to this week's episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and this week, we're doing The Ring. Let's just jump into it. I'm super pumped for this one. This was one of the, like, I I feel like I said that about so many of the films that I've done, but this is one of the kind of bigger horror ones, one of the first big horror movies that I watched. Uh, You know, I I watched a couple of weird ones pretty often. Like, I didn't watch the original Texas Chainsaw until way after I had seen, I think it's Texas Chainsaw, the beginning. Um, I had seen Rest Stop so many times before I had seen, you know, The Ring or um, trying to think of some other classics like Scream. I think I had seen The Rest Stop before Scream. Um, So, yeah, I had seen a couple of random ones, not random ones, but like not classic ones um and so this was one of the first classics that i saw that i really enjoyed that i thought was really cool um and i kind of i I need to buy this one i don't know why i don't own this but i would watch this all the time if i had it so when i saw that it was on paramount plus i was like we got to do this one so let's jump in with the summary a reminder this is week four of four of my four weeks on two weeks off so this will be the last one for the next few weeks and then we will be right back into it i'm gonna try and pre-record some stuff because i will be on vacation so everything should be good to go as long as i can get everything pre-recorded i have notes done for like the two weeks that i'm gonna be on vacation already done so i just need to record those so all should be good to go but again um follow the podcast on socials at m murder movies so it's m as in massacre murder movies on instagram and twitter and i'll give updates if for some reason i don't end up getting those done in time which i should i've got the next two weeks tip to prep those and make sure they're good to go Um, but there won't be much like horror news or anything because it will be delayed but i did get my tickets for scream for next week um which i'm so freaking excited for i'm really happy that they're doing it in the town that i live in i think i've said i live in a pretty small town and so the local movie theater only has two screens most of the time they do like you know an adult movie you know something rated not chill for children um and then they do like a kids movie so i was really really i figured that they would have scream because they played halloween uh, but i was really excited that they're doing Scream, so we don't have to drive an hour both ways to see it. So very excited to see that next Thursday when it comes out. And yeah, just can't wait. But without further ado, let's jump into The Ring with a summary. The Ring, it sounds just like another urban legend. A videotape filled with nightmarish images leads to a phone call foretelling the viewer's death in exactly seven days. However, newspaper reporter Rachel Keller is skeptical of the story until four teenagers all die mysteriously, exactly one week after watching a tape. Allowing her investigative curiosity to get the better of her, Rachel tracks down the video and watches it herself. Now she has just seven days to unravel the mystery. Oh, this one is so good. I'm so excited just like talking about it. It's such a fun one. Um, It's so spooky. They did. I went to the Mystic Museum which is a really cool place in like the Burbank area of California, which I've talked about on the podcast before. They just finished their 90s slasher exhibit, but they had this huge TV screen set up with the well with Samara. It was so cool to see. I'll try and remember to post that on socials when I like, um, you know, drop the podcast and everything. But it was so cool. If you're ever in the Burbank area and you have time to kill, check out the mystic museum they've got another exhibit that they're getting ready to start here in the next couple of weeks but the whole shop is cool everyone who works there is super sweet and i think that they're um 
Lost Toys exhibit is still up and going. So go check that out if you're in the Burbank area because it was a really fun afternoon. So now that we've got our summary, we can jump into our cast and we will start with our main gal, Rachel Keller, who is played by Naomi Rotz. Naomi is a British actress. After her family moved to Australia, she made her film debut there in the drama For Love Alone in 1986. And then she appeared in three television series, Hey Dad in 1990, Brides of Christ in 1991, and Home Away in 1991. She also starred in the film Flirting in 1991. And after moving to the United States, Watts initially struggled as an actress, taking roles in small-scale films until she starred in David Lynch's psychological thriller Mulholland Drive in 2001 as an inspiring actress. This role started her rise to international prominence. She then played a tormented journalist in The Ring, which we're talking about today. She was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance as a grief-stricken mother in the film 21 Grams in 2003. Her profile continued to grow with starring roles in I Heart Huckabees in 2004, King Kong in 2005, Eastern Promise in 2007, The International in 2009, and for her role as Maria Bennett in the disaster film The Impossible in 2012, she received another Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. In the 2010s, she starred in such films as Birdman, St. Vincent, While We Were Young, The Glass Castle, and Lucy. Watts also continued to act in blockbusters with appearances in the Divergent franchise from 2015 to 2016, and she ventured into television with the Showtime mystery drama series Twin Peaks in 2017 and the biographical limited series The Loudest Voice in 2019. She is particularly known for her work in remakes and independent productions with dark, tragic themes as well as portrayals of characters that endure loss or suffering. Magazines such as People and Maxim have included her on their list of the world's most beautiful women. She has been an ambassador for the Joint United Nations Program on HIV and AIDS and Pantene's Beautiful Links. Then we will move on to the role of Noah Clay, who is Rachel's friend slash ex-boyfriend slash father of her child. Uh, and Noah is played by Martin Henderson. Martin is a New Zealand actor known for his roles on the American medical drama series Off the Map as Dr. Ben Keaton in 2011, the medical drama series Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Nathan Riggs from 2015 to 2017, the Netflix romantic drama Virgin River as Jack Sheridan from 2019 to today. He is, of course, also known for his role as Noah. And when he was a teenager, he was the role of Stuart Nielsen in the soap opera Shortland Street from 1992 to 1995. Then we'll move on to Noah and Rachel's son, Aiden. And Aiden is played by David Dorfman. David is an American attorney and retired actor. He portrayed Aidan Keller in the 2002 horror film remake The Ring and the 2005 sequel The Ring 2. His other film roles include Sammy in Panic, Joey in Bounce, and Jedediah Hewitt in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He has also portrayed Charles Wallace Murray in the film version of A Wrinkle in Time. In 2008, Dorfman appeared in the film Drillbit Taylor. He was cast alongside Thomas Hayden Church in Zombie Roadkill and appeared as a soldier of the Lannisters in the Game of Thrones seventh season episode Dragonstone. In his legal career, he has already acquired a diverse background, which includes time in Hong Kong as a rising star with a major law firm. As of 2022, 
1992, he works in the U.S. House of Representatives, serving as legislative director slash general counseling to the Energy and Commerce Committee's vice chair. Then we will move on to Samara Morgan, who is our tormented urban legend gal who is played by Davy Chase. Davy's an American actress, singer, and model. She began her career appearing in minor television roles before being cast as Samantha Darko in the film Donnie Darko. She would subsequently provide the voice for the English dubbed version of the Studio Ghibli film Spirited Away. She voiced Lilo in the film Lilo and Stitch and its subsequent franchise. This was all before she appeared as Samara in The Ring. Between 2006 and 2011, she played a supporting part on the HBO series Big Love, portraying Rhonda Vollmer, a sociopathic teenager raised in a polygamist family. And in 2009, she reprised her role as Samantha Darko in S. Darko, the sequel to Donnie Darko. And she appeared in the horror film Jack Goes Home in 2016. Next, we have the role of Richard Morgan, who is Samara's father in the film, and Richard is played by Brian Cox. Brian is a Scottish actor. He has worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Royal National Theatre extensively, where he gained recognition for his portrayal of King Lear. He played supporting roles in Rob Roy in 1995 and Mel Gibson's Academy Award-winning Braveheart in 1995 as well. He was also the first actor to portray Hannibal Lecter on film in Manhunter in 1986, a winner of two Olivier Awards, a Primetime Emmy Award, and a Golden Globe Award. He has also been nominated for a British Academy Television Award and three Screen Actor Guild Awards. In 2003, he was appointed to the Order of the British Empire at the rank of Commander. Brian won the Primetime Emmy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series for his portrayal of Herman Goring in Nuremberg and received nominations at the Golden Globe Awards and Screen Actor Guild Awards. His performance in Lie earned him an AFI Award nomination and an Independent Screen Award nomination. His guest starring role in the series Frasier earned him a second Emmy nomination in 2002 in which year he also appeared in seven films, grossing $347 million at the box office. He received a second SAG Award nomination as part of the ensemble cast in Spike Jonze's Adaptation, in which he played Hollywood screenwriting guru Robert McKee. He also played General William Stryker in X-Men 2. He currently stars as Logan Roy in HBO series Succession from 2018 until today for which he won the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Drama Series and was nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for Best Actor in a Drama Series. Brian also has notable film credits in The Long Kiss Goodnight, The Boxer, Rushmore, Super Troopers, The Bourne Identity, The Ring, of course, 25th Hour, Troy, The Bourne Identity, Red Eye, Zodiac, The Escapist, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Red, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Red 2, Churchill, Remember Me. Brian is a veteran of the London stage, having won two Olivier Awards for Best Actor for his performance in Titus Andronicus for the Royal Shakespeare Company and Rat in the Skull for the Royal Court. Uh, Brian has also written three books, Salem to Moscow, an actor's odyssey, 
The Lear Diaries, and his autobiography, Putting the Rabbit in the Hat. He was honored at the 2004 BAFTA Scotland Awards with the Outstanding Achievement Award and at the 2004 Great Scott Awards with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Empire Magazine awarded him the Empire Icon Award for his film achievements in 2006, and the UK Film Council named him one of the top 10 powerful British film stars in Hollywood in 2007. Then we will move on to Anna Morgan, who is Samara's adopted mother and Richard's wife. And Anna is played by Shannon Cochran. Shannon's an American actress. While she has numerous credits to her name, she is particularly recognizable for having played the mysterious Anna Morgan in The Ring. And then she also played Pam Beasley's mother in the Office episode of Sexual Harassment. So this is the first time that we see Pam's mom. Um, And then, of course, they had to recast her because Shannon was busy, I think, with the with a theater production she was doing stage acting at the time and so she couldn't come back for the role of pam's mom so they had to recast her sadly but she plays anna morgan in the ring then we will move on to the role of dr Grantsnick, who is um, the doctor on the island where the morgans live and Dr. Grantsnick is played by Jane Alexander. Jane is an American actress and author. She is the recipient of two Primetime Emmy Awards, a Tony Award, and nominations for four Academy Awards and three Golden Globe Awards. From 1993 to 1997, Alexander served as the chairwoman for the National Endowment of the Arts. She won the 1969 Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Play for her performance in the Broadway production of The Great White Hope. Her other Broadway credits include Six Rooms Review in 1972, The Night of the Iguana in 1988, The Sisters Rosenwig in 1993, and Honor in 1998. She has received a total of eight Tony Award nominations and was inducted into the American Theatre Hall of Fame in 1994. Her film Breakthrough came with the romantic drama The Great White Hope in the 1970, which earned her a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actress. Her subsequent Oscar nominations were for her roles in All President's Men, Kramer vs. Kramer, and Testament. An eight-time Emmy nominee, she received her first nomination for playing Eleanor Roosevelt in Eleanor and Franklin in 1976, a role that required her to age from 18 to 60. She has won two Emmys for Outstanding Supported Actress in a Miniseries or Movie for playing for Time in 1980 and Warm Springs in 2005. Next, we have the role of Ruth Embry, who is Rachel's sister, and Ruth is played by Lindsay Frost. Frost played the role of Betsy Stewart Andropolis on the daytime soap opera As the World Turns from 1984 to 1988. She also played Dr. Jessie Lane in the drama Birdland. She played Sergeant Helen Sullivan in the crime drama High Incident. She played Faye in the drama Nighttime Cafe, and Claire in the crime drama Shark. She appeared on Crossing Jordan in the recurring role of Maggie from 2001 to 2006. In recent years, she has also guest starred in a number of series, including Lost, Boston Legal, Shark, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, CSI Miami, and Frasier, and then she also appeared in the cult films Dead Heat, of course, The Ring, and then on Broadway, she appeared in M. Butterfly in 1988. We will move on to the role of Katie Embry, who is Ruth's daughter, and Katie is played by Amber Tamblin. 
Amberson, American actress and writer. She first came to national attention for her role on the soap opera General Hospital as Emily at the age of 11. She followed with a starring role in the primetime series Joan of Arcadia, portraying the title character Joan, for which she received primetime Emmy and Golden Globe nominations. Her feature film works include roles such as Tibby Rollins in the first two The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants films and Megan McBride in 127 Hours in 2010, as well as the critically acclaimed film Daphne Daly, opposite Tilda Swindon, which debuted at the Sundance Film Festival, for which Amber won Best Actress at the Locarno International Film Festival and was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. In 2021, she starred opposite Diane Lane in FX's Why the Last Man, Amber is a published author and cultural critic at large, and she has published seven books across different genres and writes for the New York Times and other publications on issues of gender inequality and women's rage. All right, we just have three more people to get to. The next person we'll talk about is Becca, who is a friend of Katie's, and Becca is played by Rachel Bella. Bella is known for her role as Becca in the movie The Ring. She has also appeared in other various movies and television shows such as Law & Order, SVU, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Boston Public, True Calling, and The Crucible. And she retired from acting in 2007. We have The Innkeeper, who is played by Richard Lineback. And Richard is an American actor who appeared in the film Speed, Twister, and Varsity Blues. He played Deputy Dodd in Friday the 13th, A New Beginning and has appeared in many roles on stage with leads that include Tom Joad in The Grapes of Wrath, CeCe Showers in The Diviners, for which he won a Drama Logue Award for Outstanding Actor, and the title role in Mr. Roberts. He has also made numerous guest appearances for television, including Romus in Star Trek The Next Generation, Celan Pierce in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Keswick in Star Trek Enterprise. He also appeared as the Reverend Vernon Canty in two episodes of Jack, and he also appeared in two episodes of MASH, playing different characters. And the last person we will talk about is Beth, who was played by the lovely Polly Perrette. Polly's an American actress and singer, and she is best known for playing Abby Shuto in the television series NCIS from 2003 to 2018. She has worked in television and film, mostly doing commercials, voiceovers, music videos, and short films. She worked as a bartender in New York City while working odd jobs in New York. She was introduced by a friend to an advertising agency director. This prompted her to move to Los Angeles, where she had a variety of bit parts and several and made several guest appearances. She appeared as a waitress in Cafe Nervosa in the sitcom Frasier during season four in the episode Three Dates and a Breakup. She guest starred in season one of 24, and she has made appearances in several films, including The Ring and Almost Famous. And that is it for our cast breakdown. So now we can jump into our fun facts about The Ring. And the first one is that the cursed video is available as an Easter egg on the DVD select look here and press down and your cursor will disappear press enter um, and this has an interesting feature your remote control will disable once the video has started playing you can't stop it pause it fast forward it or return to the menu unless you turn off the tv you're forced to watch the whole thing and when it's over the dvd returns to the menu and then you hear a phone ring twice before you're given control of the remote again which i think is really fun and i really need to find this on dvd um, with that feature on it because i think that would just be fun to have Long before the movie premiered, the killer video was used as a commercial, and the commercial did not mention the movie for nearly a month. It was just the cursed tape part, so thank God it wasn't actually cursed, or the whole entire world would have been cursed. 
For the choice of the film's color, it was decided that everything was to be tinged with a color green to give the film a sickly, unnatural feeling. Sets were also lit in a way that none of the characters have shadows to create an almost subconscious sense of creepiness. On its first week of release in the U.S. and Canada, Select Cinemas put actual copies of the cursed tape on seats for unsuspecting viewers as freebies, which I think would be so fun to have. The massive success of The Sixth Sense in 1999 was what gave Paramount Pictures the confidence to greenlight the remake of Ringu in 1998 due to the rise in popularity of supernatural mysteries and thrillers. The next fun fact is that the Mesco Island Lighthouse is a fictional name for a real lighthouse located in Newport, Oregon. Built in 1873, the real lighthouse is named the Yakina Head Lighthouse and is still currently an active aid to navigation and is reputable to be haunted by ghosts of the past keeper, which I have been to that lighthouse because I used to live in Oregon. So that's a pretty, yeah, like if you go to Newport, you can see the Yakina Head Lighthouse very easily. The type of ghost that Samara and her Japanese incarnation, Sadeko, um, is based on the mythological Onryo, the Japanese ghost that manifests after dying in the grip of a powerful rage and returns as a very pale and physical ghost to seek vengeance on the living. Samara's psychic abilities are known as Nensha, which is a form of spirit photography that enables someone to burn images from their mind into any solid service just by thinking about them, explaining why her adopted parents suffered nightmares and bad visions. This is also how she burned her images onto the videotape that Katie and her friends used to copy a sports game on TV. An interesting feature on the VHS release, if you rewind the tape to the very beginning or just put the tape in the VCR when fully rewound, when you play it, you see the cursed video. After the segment ends, you hear a phone ring twice and then it goes to the previews. Also, after the movie has ended, you see an additional scene that helped explain the mystery of the cursed video. And of course, when they reissued the VHS, this has been removed. DreamWorks took an unusual but effective tact on the release plan for this film. When the lengthy post-production and test screening processes was complete, it was more time than usual, largely because the edits to make the film less graphically violent and move it away from a potential R rating toward the PG-13 it received, the company decided to launch it in fewer theaters than expected. The logic was simple. If the film did well during October 18th to the 20th over that weekend it could be expanded to more theaters just ahead of halloween the ring ended up improving the box office in weekend two and became one of the biggest hits of the year the role of rachel was first offered to jennifer conley who would later star in another japanese horror remake dark waters the script was then offered to jennifer love hewitt gwyneth paltrow and kate beckinsale and then finally naomi watts Brian Cox was the only actor considered to play Richard Morgan, and he turned down a part in Ghost Ship in order to star in The Ring, which I cannot wait to do Ghost Ship for the podcast. If you've not seen Ghost Ship, go watch Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship is so good. Then Davy Chase took the role of Samara after losing the role of Sarah Altman in Panic Room to Kristen Stewart. Production designer Tom relied on Andrew Wentz's paintings as his main visual inspiration for the film. Subtle images of circles in various forms, such as the design on the doctor's sweater, the shower drain, and Rachel's apartment number appear throughout the movie. So the character of Samara in the original Japanese film and novel was actually an adult when she died. Um, she was also sexually ambiguous and was heavily implied to be intersex in the novels, but in this film, Samara is a child and quite clearly feminine. The film was originally promoted under the title Ring, like Ringu, in 1998. The original Japanese film 
upon which it's based. Shortly before the release, the title was changed to The Ring. And they chose Seattle, Washington as the location because of its wet, isolated setting. Although the meaning of the title The Ring is ambiguous, Koji Suzuki, the author of the original novel, always intended it to mean the cyclical nature of the plot rather than the phone ringing. While the film takes place in Seattle, an earlier draft of the screenplay, it originally took place in Massachusetts and Maine for the scenes involving the Morgan family. So be Massachusetts and then they would go to Maine um, to, to meet the Morgans. But of course, now it's just Seattle and then they go to the island where the Morgans live. So in the first scene of the film, Katie and Becca are wearing what appears to be like schoolgirl uniforms like you would see in uh, Japan. And this is a reference to the film's Japanese origins. Amber Tamlin would go on to appear in another Japanese horror remake, The Grudge 2, in 2006. If you look closely at Samara's fingers, she is lacking fingernails, and this is as a result of her trying to climb out of the well for seven days. And then I think that this is really interesting. So Chris Cooper was actually supposed to appear in the film, but have a really small role. So he was supposed to have a bookend role, which is what they call it. So he opened the film and closed the film. He played two scenes in which he was a serial murderer who, you know, basically deserved what was coming to him. So Naomi Watts was trying to interview his character because she's a journalist. And he was basically trying to say that he had found god and he had you know he was rehabilitated and she wasn't buying it and so this is what we were supposed to open with was her conducting this interview because he's trying to say that now you know he should get out on parole or uh, not be executed whatever the thing was and then at the end of the film when rachel has aiden copy the tape in order to save aiden she gives the tape to chris's character and um, I guess they decided to cut this because when test audiences watched the film with that in it, they were a little bit confused and they were like, what, like, where's Chris? Why don't we get more of the character? Um, you know, we want to see more of him. So they just cut it and you can see him very briefly on the front page of a newspaper toward the end of the, the movie in Noah's apartment or loft, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you can see kind of a news article about him, but we don't get that. And so when... Aiden, I think, asks who they're going to give the tape to. That's who they end up giving the tape to is a serial murderer. Playing the movie frame by frame in the exact moment when Katie Embry is scared to death at the beginning of the movie, you can see all the images that appear on the video. Each image appears for just a fraction of a second. The effect is repeated at the end of the movie as well. During the climax of the film, when Naomi Watts' character is knocked into the well by the television, Samara very briefly appears on the screen just as Rachel turns to look at the television. Uh, so Reiko is Rachel's Japanese counterpart in the novel and the first film. After figuring out that she only survived the curse because she copied the tape and her son accidentally watched it, proceeds to have her son copy the tape so she can show it to her own father instead to save her son's life. In order to keep Rachel sympathetic for the audience, the father character was opted out and of course, like I mentioned, replaced with Chris Cooper's character, um, but then we don't end up seeing that scene anyway. So we are in the film for nearly an hour, 59 minutes before Brian Cox even makes his appearance, and then he only has four minutes of screen time throughout the whole film, despite his prominent billing. 
Samara's name means protected by God in Hebrew, alluding to her biologically supernatural origins. Noah, the name of one of her victims, was also Hebrew in origin, and interestingly, a biblical figure named Noah appears in the narrative that mainly involves a great flood, a nod to the reoccurring theme of water in the films. Due to her demonic nature, her seven-day curse could be looked at as a mockery of the seven days God took to create life on earth, while also referencing the fact it took up to seven days for Samara to finally die in the well. And so there's uh, a lot of kind of... I don't know if lore is the right word because they filmed stuff and they like wrote it. But in deleted scenes, a local fisherman tells Rachel some details of Samara's backstory. And he tells Rachel that Samara is Richard and Anna's biological child and that a doctor from overseas helped them get pregnant. And it's assumed that they made deals with demonic forces as the fisherman tells Rachel that Richard and Anna often messed with nature before they finally gave birth to Samara, which would have served as an explanation for her supernatural abilities. But in The Ring 2 in 2005, it's further explained that Samara was adopted by the Morgans due to difficulties conceiving a child. And her biological mother, Evelyn, claims that Samara's father was an oceanic deity. This deleted scene can either be taken as non-canon or, like, the new backstory is just re- revitalized and revamped. But I, I like the idea that she was adopted because that's kind of where they push it in the first one and then they confirm that. So I think it just makes more sense that she would be adopted. And it also gives it that creepier power of like, you know, who is her? Who are her biological parents? Like, what happened? What's going on? Um, I think it adds to the spook a little bit if she's adopted. And then stuntwoman Kelly Stables, in an uncredited role, plays the ghostly Samara when she crawls out of the television to kill Noah, and she would go on to reprise the role in the sequel The Ring 2 in 2005. And then the last fun fact is that a theory about how Samara kills her victims is that she mentally projects all of the images from the cursed videotape into the victim's mind all at once, causing an intense mental overload which literally causes them to internally explode, leaving their external body seemingly rotten and dried out as a result of the overload. This is why the victims receive a heart attack before dying, their mouths are horribly disfigured despite no sign of physical attack, and a series of screenshots from the cursed videotape briefly fly moments before the victim dies and that is the end of our fun facts now we can jump in to the scene by scene breakdown i i'm gonna watch this again tonight after recording this because just talking about it like makes me want to watch it again even though i've watched it i think i've watched it three times i didn't need to watch it three times but it's always fun when i get really into the film i'm watching for the week and i'm like i don't really need to watch it again but i will because why not especially when it's something streamed or like I own, which I try to do. I try not to have to rent movies. I'll just end up buying them because um, most of them I, I would want to own anyway, but it was very nice to have this one on streaming. I also have not read the novel and I found it on like an on like ebook. So I think when I go on vacation in a few weeks, I think I'm going to buy it because it's like nine bucks or something like that. I think I want to buy it and try and read it while I'm on vacation. I've got a couple books. I'm going to the beach and I'm so excited to just sit in the sun for a week and not have to work. So I'm going to bring a couple books and hopefully just read and relax and swim and eat some good seafood. That is the plan for my vacation and I'm so excited. And if you want to see what I get up to, follow the podcast on socials and I'll post what I'm reading and uh, some pictures of the beach if you want some in an escape from wherever whatever you've got going on um, 
I probably will post a lot because I'm very excited and will need stuff for myself to look at when I get home to cold, snowy South Dakota. Uh, and then I can look back on the beach and reminisce on where I had been, I guess. We open with the DreamWorks logo and it's kind of fuzzy, kind of like the start of a VCR tape. How many people who listen to my podcast know what a VCR is? Because that sounds like, it seems like such old tech, but I, I remember going to Blockbuster and renting VCRs. Like I remember when Blockbuster was making the switch from VCRs to DVDs and they would have like a copy of each. So you could rent the VCR if you wanted but you could also rent the DVD if you had a DVD player. Like I remember the switch happening at Blockbuster. I miss Blockbuster so much. Anyway, that's what we open with. And then we see the exterior of a house. It's a really nice house. It's dark outside, it's raining. And we are now inside with Katie and Becca. They are talking about hating TV. They can't decide what to watch. And Becca then tells Katie about this tape that will kill you if you watch it. Katie wants to know a little bit more. She kind of seems on edge when Becca brings this up. And Becca explains that you start to play it and it's like someone's nightmare. And then a woman comes on smiling at you, seeing you through the screen. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you have watched it and they say you will die in seven days. Katie wants to know who told her this and Becca says someone from another school across town. Katie looks really spooked and wants to know who. She's like, no, who told you? And Becca's like, what is wrong with you? And Katie confesses that she's watched the tape. And Becca says that it's just a story. Katie further explains that she went away with Josh, her boyfriend, for the weekend, and they watched the tape. She explains that they were trying to record a football game, and when they went to watch the recording of the game, that's what was on the tape, and they thought it was some weird joke, but that was a week ago tonight. And Becca's like, you're just trying to scare me. Knock it off. I don't like this. And Katie then starts acting like she's choking. Becca's holding her and freaking out, but Katie's just messing with her. They start laughing and Becca's like, wait, you and Josh went away for the weekend? Like, I thought you were with your parents. And Katie's like, yeah, well, we went to, you know, this cabin with some of his friends from, because he goes to the other high school across town with some of his friends. And, you know, we just kind of hung out and Becca wants to know more of what happened. And Katie's kind of playing coy, but they joke and they're having a good time. And then the phone rings. Katie looks really scared again. And then she looks at the clock and Becca watches her like kind of body language and she sees all this and she says, oh my God, there's really a tape. The two of them go downstairs and Becca answers the phone, even though it's Katie's house. And Becca looks really freaked. We can't hear what the person on the other end of the phone is saying, but Becca just looks scared and hands the phone to Katie. Katie puts the phone up to her ear, but it's, it's just Katie's mom. It's totally fine. Becca was just messing with her, kind of getting her back from, you know, what Katie had just done to her a few minutes earlier. Becca goes back upstairs, Katie gets some juice, she chats with her mom, they hang up, and then the TV in the living room turns on, but it's just static. Katie turns it off and tells Becca to quit being a bitch, and as she goes to leave the living room, the TV turns on again. Katie turns and yells at Becca to quit. She has to unplug the TV, and then we hear this rumbling noise in the kitchen. We see the refrigerator door is opening, it's opening very slowly. Katie goes up and slams it, and then we hear a noise upstairs. Katie calls out for Becca and slowly goes up the stairs. Now we're upstairs in the house at the end of the hallway across from where the stairs are. So we can see like Katie's head come and then her, the rest of her body coming up the stairs. And we're kind of on the floor and we can see that there's water all over the floor by Katie's room. Katie walks over to her door, the door is shut and we can hear the static from the TV on the other side of the door. 
Katie opens it and the TV is on. We see a picture of a well and then Katie's face contorts. The TV flashes with all these images and then goes to static. And now we see someone coloring on a piece of paper with a crayon. We see a young boy. This is Aiden. He's at school and his mom is sadly late picking him up. We hear Rachel coming and she's on the phone. She's like yelling at her coworker or her boss, whoever it is. And when she gets in the room, Aiden looks at her and says that he'll wait in the car. The teacher wants to talk with Rachel. We learn that Katie is Aiden's cousin and she used to babysit him a couple nights a week. We also learn that Aiden has been drawing a lot of pictures of Katie's dead body. The teacher is really worried and Rachel says that it's just his way of working things out. And we learned that Katie died three days ago, and the teacher says that Aiden has been drawing the pictures for a week now. Rachel looks really concerned, and now her and Aiden are driving home. It's raining, and once we're home, it must be later in the evening because we see Rachel putting Aiden to bed. She tucks him in, and he says that they don't have enough time. And Rachel's like, of course he does. You don't have to worry about that. He's got plenty of time. And she says, do you know when I'm going to die? And she says, no, no one does. And he just very quietly says, Katie did. Katie said she didn't have enough time. And then he turns over and says goodnight to Rachel. And he calls her Rachel pretty much throughout the whole film instead of mom, which I think is very interesting. Rachel leaves the room and turns out the light. Now it's the day of the funeral. I'm guessing the next day or, or a few days later, maybe. And Rachel can't seem to find her black dress. She's frantically searching her room, and when she comes out to the living room, Aiden has laid out her clothes for her and is getting himself ready. He's like, I don't know, maybe fourth grade. Like, he can't be that old, but he's very adult-like. Uh, it's, it's very odd. We see them arrive at Katie's house, and it's just full of people. Aiden stares at Katie's picture, and Rachel talks with her sister, she hugs her. She apologizes. Katie asks her sister's husband how he's doing, and he's just, like, out of it. And now in the kitchen, Rachel and her sister Ruthie are talking. Ruthie says she doesn't know how Katie died. She talked to three different doctors, and no one can tell her what happened. She's looked into a bunch of stuff and can't find anything. Ruthie says that she saw Katie's body, and we get a glimpse of Katie's body, and it looks like she's cowering in the closet. Her face is all distorted and contorted and messed up. And Ruthie asks Rachel to look into it because Rachel's an investigative journalist. Now we see Rachel go outside to have a cigarette and we see a bunch of Katie and Becca's friends are talking. They're talking about how Becca is now in the mental ward and Rachel starts asking them questions. Rachel tries to see if maybe they were doing drugs. And um, some guy is like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about the tape. Rachel asks about the tape and he says the one that kills you when you watch it. Rachel learns about Katie and Josh, which her parents didn't even seem to know about. Rachel asks where Josh is, and the guy says supposedly he killed himself the same night Katie died. Now we cut to Aiden in the house, and he goes upstairs into Katie's room. He goes right into her TV and just stares at it. And the TV's off, but he just stares at the blank TV. He hears humming, and then we see Rachel come into the room behind him. Rachel says that they shouldn't be in there, and he says that it's not Katie's room anymore. Rachel finds a picture of Aiden and Katie. It's a very, very cute picture. And then she also finds a binder full of magazine cutouts and all of the faces of the women are scribbled out, like with a pen. While she's looking through the binder, she does find a tab for a photo processing place where Katie must have dropped off some film to be developed. We see Rachel now going to collect the pictures and they're from the weekend before Katie died. And the last third of the pictures, everyone's faces are blurred. Like the camera seemed to work fine through most of the trip and then the last few pictures everyone's faces are super blurry so you can't see their features now we see rachel looking up josh's death and the death of the other two people they were with at the cabin that weekend 
They all died at 10 p.m. Rachel's at her desk doing some more digging, and her boss comes up and says that she's fired. Jesus goes, no, I'm not, and, like, waves him away. She's like, I'm working, go away. And he just does. He's like, okay. Rachel decides to go check out the place that the kids stayed. We see her driving. It's raining. Classic Pacific Northwest. She arrives at the Shelter Mountain Inn and chats with the innkeeper. He asks her to pick a card, and her card is the Nine of Diamonds. He shuffles it, pulls a card. It's not hers. Rachel is asking about Katie and her friends and explains that her niece, Katie, ran away and they're all looking for her. He recognizes them and says that they stayed in cabin 12 but didn't pay. They also complained about the TV. He says they have videos that they can borrow and she sees a tape over on the shelf with no cover, just sitting there. Rachel says she's tired and may take a nap before going back. She puts her card on the counter and says she'll take cabin 12. And while he goes to run her card, Rachel goes over and puts the tape in her bag. He peeks around the corner and holds up another card, and he's like, hey, and so we think that Rachel's caught in taking this tape. And he's like, is this your card? And he holds up the wrong card again. She's like, yeah, it is. You got it. And he seems very pleased with himself. Now outside of cabin 12, Rachel pauses and then goes inside. We see a Japanese maple tree behind her on this small hill, and she walks inside, and the cabin is very small and very old. We get a view of the tree and the light and the leaves are super bright and orange. In the sunset, it looks like it's on fire. Rachel is sitting inside looking at the tape and we get a close-up on the leaves on the tree. Rachel puts thin the tape and we see a bunch of images that are just a few seconds long. First a circle, then static, then water or blood gushing, a chair, a woman brushing her hair in a mirror, a ghostly figure in the mirror, a hillside, someone staring out a window, rope being pulled from someone's mouth, a nail going through a finger, maggots, a centipede, a tree burning, back to the woman as she looks at the camera. A ladder, a woman falling off a cliff, the ladder falling, a well next to a wooded area, and the circle again before static. We get a close-up of Rachel's eye, and her pupil shrinks. We see the tree outside again, and now in the cabin, the phone rings. The cabin phone. She answers, and a girl says, seven days. Rachel looks freaked and runs out of the cabin. Now we see it's Thursday, day one. Aiden is making a sandwich and packing his lunch for school. He leaves and Rachel is in her room on her bed. Aiden is walking in the rain and almost runs into the sky. They look at each other and then pass one another. It's pouring rain and this man that we saw outside is now at Rachel's apartment. She's showing him the photos and he asks what this has to do with the tape. She hands him a camera and says, take my picture. And when he does, and he looks back at the photo, her face is blurry. He again asks about the tape, and she pulls it out and says that he shouldn't see it. He's clearly into tech because, you know, she's asking for his help and, you know, all about cameras and videos and things like that. And she says that four kids are dead, and this man, Noah, says not from watching a tape. They put the tape in, and Noah watches it. Rachel walks away and goes to the balcony. She watches people's apartments across the way. Everyone is watching TV. Noah comes out and says that it was most likely a student film. He's not super impressed. And then the phone rings. Rachel looks scared and doesn't want to answer. She lets it go to voicemail and her and Noah chat some more. He's still not concerned and she says that four people are dead who watched it. And he says that he has to go pick up a few things and she's still trying to convince him to take this seriously. Rachel's looking rough and Noah tries to make a joke about it and she's very set on she needs to know who made it and where it came from. Who made the tape and where did it come from? He agrees and says that he'll need a copy so that he can check it out more. 
he's getting ready to leave they say goodbye and they like kind of pause when they say goodbye like there's very clearly a history between the two of them rachel sees the voicemail on the machine after he leaves and she just stares at it for a second she goes to press play and then she just deletes it now back at work she heads to the av room to make a copy of the tape she watches the tape again while it's copying and notices a number uh, on the copy machine are all messed up and she also notices a fly in one of the images like it was on the tv and then it got stuck in the video now it's Friday, day two. Rachel arrives at Noah's loft and he's checking out the tape again. He also notices the numbers are messed up almost immediately after they start to watch it. He asks if she's sure that this is a copy and she says yes. And when he takes it out, you can see the copy sticker that Rachel put on it. Rachel says the original copy is like that, so the same problem got copied. And he's like, that's not how it works though. And he's like walking over to this cabinet and he's trying to explain that when you make a tape, the number corresponds to what made the tape, either a camcorder, VCR, whatever. But this makes it seem like the tape was never created. He said, this is like being born without fingerprints. So it's very odd that these numbers are wrong on both the original and the copy. Rachel asks how it got recorded then. And Noah very confidently says, they're going to find out. They're now picking the tape apart frame by frame, and he points out um, at the scene or the, the image with the woman brushing her hair that you should be able to see the camera and the reflection because it's a straight-on view of this mirror, you know, facing this woman's back. And Rachel asks a question about what's in the top corner. And Noah explains it's tracking and that he can just kind of slide it over to the next frame. He's like, it's just, it's just the tracking from the next image. And Rachel sees something and says that he needs to go back. He tries to slide it to see what they're missing in the track. But then Rachel is too impatient, of course, and she tries to speed it up by also putting her hands on the button. So it's this little like uh, like wheel almost thing. So you can kind of like slow it or, or slow it down or speed it up. So she puts her hand on it as well and is trying to, to do it better or whatever and ends up messing the film up. Uh, the tape almost runs off of the track that it's on in the tape deck itself. They both look at each other and they laugh a little bit. And at this moment, Beth comes in. She's working with Noah, but may also be dating him. She comes in and says that she picks up the cameras that they needed and is talking about some work that she did that she's a little bit unsure about. She has headphones in and doesn't realize that Rachel's there. And then when she does, she takes the headphones off. And Rachel seems uncomfortable and she kind of gets a little bit of an attitude. Noah introduces the two of them. Noah introduces her as his assistant, and Beth says that she'll stay out of their way, and then she kisses him on the cheek. But Noah actually invites Beth to take a look at what they're doing, and Rachel says no and takes the tape and gets her things to leave. Noah catches Rachel at the elevator, and he says that he's not going to get worked up over some high school rumor, and he thinks she's angry, and she says, no, I'm just in a hurry. And she says, this is the part where I say you're a flake who never finishes anything, and you say I'm an obsessive bitch who needs to lighten up. Noah smiles and she continues with, and then I storm out pissed off and kicking myself forever thinking that you could just grow up. The elevator finally arrives and she gets in. She finishes her speech with, so why don't we just cut to that part and save ourselves a lot of grief? He nods and looks a bit frustrated himself. He says bye, and the next thing we see is Rachel walking out of the building. She walks right under a ladder, just like in the tape. It's a really odd deja vu feeling. She walks up to the ladder and then this worker is like, hey, don't mess with that. Like, you know, it's bad luck and you don't need that. It is now Saturday, day three. We are in some kind of hospital and we see these wheels on the ground and two sets of feet. Someone guiding whatever these wheels are on and someone walking next to it. We see it's a giant partition. We see this giant partition pass a few rooms and then we see it's the mental hospital. The partition goes past, I'm guessing like the activity room and the person stops to glance at the TV. 
The worker tells this person that they need to keep moving, and we see that the patient is Becca. The worker has to get her attention and tells Becca that they're almost where they're going. And Rachel is there to interview Becca. Rachel asked if something was wrong with Katie and what they were doing that night. Becca isn't talking. She's just staring. And Rachel asks about the tape. Rachel says that Katie was afraid, wasn't she? Something was happening. And then she asks Becca how she died. She says she needs to know. Becca looks at her and says, and you will. She'll show you. Rachel says, who will show me? And Becca says, not now. Becca takes Rachel's hands and puts Rachel's thumbs down. Then she says, four days. Rachel looks shocked, and we see the maple tree again. Now Rachel goes to the big AV department at work and is able to stretch the track more and print some pictures. She's able to stretch that one part and is able to see a lighthouse. She tries to print it, but the system shuts down. She calls for help and is able to get it turned back on. Now she is on the part with the fly. She's playing around with the screen and pauses, but the fly's wings are still moving. She's able to literally reach in and pull the fly out. And the woman who had helped her set everything up pops up and is like, hey, did you need help? Because Rachel had kind of fixed it, you know, on her own before the woman got there. And Rachel's nose starts bleeding. And the woman tells her that, you know, that her nose is bleeding and Rachel takes her photos and leaves. We are now on a Sunday, day seven. Rachel is at the library researching lighthouses and she finds the lighthouse and it's located in Moseko Island. Now at work, she is researching the island. She finds a photo of a group of people who refurbished the lighthouse and... One of them is the woman on the tape brushing her hair. The woman is named Anna Morgan, and Rachel now looks into her. She finds that Anna hosted a horse show. She was very into horses. She also finds something that seems to shock her. She goes to the archive room and finds the records from a certain year. She finds an article about something going on at the Morgan Horse Ranch. Some of the horses drowned in the water. It's the same image from the video of the horses down at the beach. Rachel makes a photocopy and keeps researching. She finds that Anna died by suicide. She jumped from one of the cliffs. While Rachel is researching, she seems to be taking notes, but when we see what she's writing, she's actually just scratching the face off of the copy of Anna, like the photos that we saw in Katie's room, like the magazine cutouts. It's now Monday, day five, and Noah is buying some snacks and cigarettes. The woman working tells him that he's going to die if he keeps smoking. Noah sees his image on the security video they have, and his face is all blurry like the photos of Katie and her friends and Rachel after watching the video. He leaves, and we see the day pass by via the clouds. Rachel arrives home and accidentally scares the babysitter. The babysitter had fallen asleep on the couch. Rachel pays the girl and then goes to check on Aiden. He's asleep, and Rachel shuts his door. Rachel calls her sister and asks her to watch Aiden for a few days. Ruthie's not really sure, and then Rachel starts coughing. She puts the phone down and then she pulls a long strand of wire out of her throat, like a long strand of wire. When she picks up the phone, the earpiece of the phone starts bleeding. Rachel goes to check on Aiden and there's a girl in the middle of the room in a chair. The ground around the girl and the chair is covered in water. Rachel goes up to her and the girl grabs her arm. The girl's arm looks like it's rotting. And... Rachel then sees the girl in this brick room hooked up with this machine and all these electrodes stuck to her. And that's what Rachel actually pulled out of her throat was the long wire and an electrode. Rachel wakes up frantic and she has a mark on her arm, the shape of a handprint. Rachel hears something and gets out of bed. Aiden's not in bed anymore. And when she goes into the living room, she finds him watching the tape. Rachel is too late and she takes the tape out and throws it across the room. 
Payton says that he couldn't sleep and then asks who the girl is. Rachel hugs him and then the phone rings. She continues to hold Aiden and then stops the phone from ringing. It rings again and she picks up the receiver and yells, leave him alone. Noah is really confused and Rachel's crying. Noah says that he needs to talk with her and he has a bunch of warped pictures of himself on the seat of his car and he says that he believes her. She tells Noah that Aiden watched the tape and this is when it's confirmed that Aiden is Noah's son. It's now Tuesday, day six. Noah's in the car with Aiden and Rachel goes into Ruth's house and Aiden and Noah chat in the car. Noah asks Aiden if he wishes he was around more and Aiden says no. Noah explains that him and Rachel were young and Aiden's like, I already know that story mom told me. Noah says he doesn't think he'd be a good father, but he doesn't want anyone else to be Aiden's father. Rachel's going through notebooks of Katie's and it's full of the same stuff that she was seeing. Rachel comes out to get Aiden so that he can stay with Ruth. Then we get a voiceover as we get an aerial view on their way to the ferry so that Rachel can go to the island. Rachel is saying that you can draw a line through Anna's life. One side is the horses and time with her husband, sheltered and comfortable. Then one day something happens and the light is gone. Anna ends up in a psych ward, deteriorates. Noah asks what happened and Rachel isn't sure, but she thinks it has to do with the horses. They're on their way to the ferry and Noah wants them both to go to the island. Rachel says she only has one day left and that he needs to check out the hospital. She says that Katie was seeing the same stuff and before you die, you see the ring. He drops Rachel at the ferry and it's pouring down rain. Rachel gets out and gives her a drawing that Aiden had done. On the ferry, Rachel looks over the articles she printed and learns that Anna has a daughter. She puts the book away and looks at her arm. It's all bruised where the girl grabbed her. Rachel sees a horse trailer and goes to pet the horse, but the horse does not like her, breaks out of the trailer, is totally freaked out. The horse is running around the ferry and everyone's trying to make sure it doesn't go overboard. This poor horse, it comes right at Rachel, ends up going overboard. Everyone runs to the back of the ferry and we see the water turn red. The horse went under and got pulled into the propellers. Super uncomfortable. I, I feel like I forget this part every single time that I watch this movie because every time I get to, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, it's the horse part. Like, I think I just like blink it out because it's just so, it's so awful and you know what's going to happen, but you hope that maybe they'll be able to get the horse. This poor horse is just so scared. Oh, it's, yeah. And the horse didn't do anything wrong. It's not the horse's fault. Noah has arrived at the hospital and he asks for Anna's records, but of course they're private. They're not going to let him see it. He tries to play it off like he's seen it already. He's like, well, it doesn't really matter because I've already been up there and seen it. And one of the workers lets it slip that the records aren't in the attic. They're actually in the basement. So Noah does the next logical thing and breaks in. He goes into the first door that he finds and voila, the records. He like kind of says to the room, he's like, are you in here, Anna? And now we get an aerial shot of the island and the lighthouse and the surrounding area. We see a truck driving. Uh, the truck stops and lets Rachel out. She walks across this little bridge and we see she's at the Morgan family ranch. She knocks on the door and no one answers. Rachel sees the window from the tape, the one that the man is looking out of. She's walking by the barn and she goes to look for some sign of life. She finally finds someone out back fixing a fence. It's Mr. Morgan. Rachel says she'd like to ask him some questions and he thinks that it's about the horses. He takes her into the stables. He's very curt, very short, but he says he'll give her a few minutes. He says the horses broke through the fence and just ran to the coast. They basically drowned themselves. He says he doesn't breed anymore, and she's looking at pictures of Anna. And then we see the mirror from the tape, the one that Anna was brushing her hair in. Mr. Morgan knows that Rachel doesn't want to talk about the horses and asks her what's really on her mind. She pulls out the tape and asks him about it. 
She thinks that it's a message from his wife, and he wants to know where she got the tape, and she tells him the Shelter Mountain Inn. He asks if it's the only copy, and she says no, she made a copy. He then gets really dismissive and says that he has a lot of work to do, and he seems very upset. She asks if he wants to see the tape, and he says no. He says he can't help her. She asks about his daughter, and he says he doesn't have one. He tells her to leave it alone and shuts the front door in her face. Rachel walks away from the house and puts the tape back in her bag. She sees a rope swing and turns to look back at the house. It matches the exact drawing that Aiden did. The drawing is of the same house, with a family and a child whose face is scratched out. Now we cut back to Noah. He's searching for Anna's file, and he finally finds it. She was having hallucinations. Noah also finds that she had multiple miscarriages. As he's looking over the file, his nose starts bleeding. One of the files falls on the floor, and it's about Samara Morgan. They were doing all these tests on her, and the sessions were terminated at the father's request. There is a note about watching a video record. Let me cut to Aiden, and he's coloring furiously. He has started to color rings, and it seems his nose may also be bleeding. Rachel calls to talk with him and asks him about the house that he drew. She asks if he saw it in his head, and he says, no, she told him to draw it. She being Samara. When Rachel asks who, he says the little girl. Samara. Rachel asks if she talks to him, and he says no, but she shows him things. And Aiden reveals that she, Samara, doesn't like it in the barn. The horses keep her awake. Rachel asks if she lives there, and he says she lives in a dark place now. We see Rachel sitting in an office, and she's meeting with the island doctor. She asks if the doctor knows the Morgans and their daughter, and the woman looks concerned. Rachel just cuts to the point and says she's been seeing things, and so has her son. She thinks it's because of this girl. Dr. Gresnick replies with a sigh and says she hasn't heard anyone say that in a long time. Now Rachel and her are talking outside. Dr. Gresnick says Anna wanted a child more than anything, and they tried for years. Then one winter they went away, and they came back with Samara. The Morgans said that she was adopted and that the real mother died of complications. They had their daughter and their horses, and everything was fine. And then Anna started seeing things, horrible things. And it only happened around Samara. Dr. Grasnick said they thought something may be wrong with Samara, so she referred them to the psych hospital on the mainland. The doctor says she thought she was still there. Dr. Grasnick says they've been through a lot of hard winters, but since that girl has been gone, it's been a lot better. We kept back to Noah, and he was able to convince a hospital staff member to watch the tape in Anna's file. The man says that he can't leave with it. They find the box that the tape is supposed to be in, but the box is empty. The last person to watch it was Richard Morgan. Noah goes outside to call Rachel, but the call won't go through. The island has really bad service. Rachel goes back to the Morgans, and the front door is wide open. She calls for Mr. Morgan and goes inside. The house is quiet and dark. Rachel looks for Mr. Morgan and goes up to the mirror. She walks over to a TV, and there's a box on the floor. She looks through it and finds Samara's birth certificate. She gets scared by a centipede and the papers. She calms down, and then she sees a tape in the VHS. She loads it, and it's the video footage of Samara in the psych hospital. She's sitting in her room, and then she's standing and then sitting. We see them run tests on her, and she's not sleeping. They want to know what is keeping her awake. They ask about the pictures she made. Samara's not answering. Then she says she doesn't make them. She sees them. They just are. The man asks for the truth, and she asks for her mom. The man says no, and she asks for her mom again. The man says, I know you don't want to hurt anyone. And she says, I do, and I'm sorry. It won't stop. He says that's why she's here, and that they will help her. And she says that daddy will leave her there. Daddy doesn't want to help. 
and Daddy only loves the horses. Daddy wants her to go away. We see Mr. Morgan standing behind Rachel in the doorway of the living room. Samara looks at the camera, says that he doesn't know, and then they're static. Rachel stands up and goes to turn, and Mr. Morgan hits her over the head. She falls, and he picks up the TV and says she will never whisper into my ear again. Rachel asks what he did to her and follows him. He goes up the stairs, and she's right behind him and asks if he killed her. Mr. Morgan says his wife was never supposed to have a child, and he's in the bathroom getting ready to electrocute himself. He says you can hear the whispers at night in your sleep. Rachel tries to get him to come out. He says she will never stop. Rachel asks where she is. She has to stop her or her son will die. Mr. Morgan gets into the bathtub and says yes, he will. She never sleeps, and then he turns on the surge protector around his neck. He falls down, and we see sparks, and Rachel screams. The electronics in the bathroom are all over the place, and Rachel is still screaming. Noah arrives at this moment and shows up right behind her and like kind of grabs her to pull her away from the bathroom, which scares her even more. He holds her and says she's okay, and she finally is able to calm down a little bit. We see Mr. Morgan in the tub, and then we cut to Rachel, and she remembers what Aiden said about the barn. She takes Noah to the barn, and they see a ladder leading to the loft area. Rachel climbs it, thinking Samara is up there. Clearly, that's where she was kept, but she's not there now. Noah also climbs up and checks it out. Rachel says the mother was going crazy, and Mr. Morgan blamed Samara. Mr. Morgan left her up there by herself. Noah finds something and gets Rachel's attention. He peels back the wallpaper, and something is burned into the wood. They peel back more wallpaper, and it's a tree. Rachel recognizes the tree, as does Noah. It's on the tape, but Rachel has been there in person. She knows where it is, at the Shelter Mountain Inn. Now, it is Wednesday, day seven. We see the tree and then a montage of Noah and Rachel driving. They make it to the Shelter Mountain Inn and go to Cabin 12. Rachel says she watched the tape at sunset a week ago. She sits down and Noah says something let us hear. Rachel says that they're too late. She tells Noah he has to help Aiden. Noah says they'll figure it out. There's still time. Noah starts wrecking the cabin and all of these marbles from inside this vase all clump together on the floor, like on this rug. And so they move the rug and the floor is all messed up. Noah breaks the floor open and they find a well. The cabin was built on top of it. They jump down onto like the main ground next to the well and move the well cover. They look down and they can't see the bottom. The TV starts twitching, static. Water is coming from the TV. Nails start coming up from the floor. Rachel drops a rock to see how deep the well goes. And Noah asks if she's down there, and Rachel hushes him. There's a rumbling coming from the well. They try and look harder and deeper, and then flies come swarming out of the well. Both Noah and Rachel are freaking out. The floor gives way, and the TV comes down and pushes Rachel into the well. She falls hard, and Noah screams out for her. Now we're in the water with Rachel. She comes to and is able to pull herself out of the water. She's, like, able to stand up. Noah is calling for her, and she calls back. She's alive. He says he's going to find something to get her out. She looks around and she sees scratch marks on the well walls, along with broken fingernails. Noah runs out and grabs a hose. There's like this uh, kind of fire area. So if the cabin catches on fire, they can spray the outside, but it's not long enough to reach inside. The well cover starts closing on its own now, and Rachel is trapped. She has a flashlight and finds a bunch of hair in the well. The hair is connected to Samara. Samara grabs her and shows Rachel what happened. Samara is standing next to the well and singing, She's watching horses, and then we see a woman. Anna comes up and puts a plastic bag over Samara's head. Anna tells her, all I ever wanted was you. And then she drops Samara in the well. Samara wasn't dead, though. 
She came to and woke up in the dark well. That is the ring that we see in the video. The top of the well. With the cover on it. Rachel is back in the well, and we see the mark, the hand mark that was on her arm, disappear. Rachel sees Samara's body and pulls her out. She's holding Samara and tells her that it's okay, and Samara looks like she did back then. And then when Rachel hears Noah's voice, Rachel watches Samara's body decay. She's now holding her skeleton, and Noah is telling Rachel it's past sunset. Rachel lets Samara's body go back into the water and finally answers Noah. It's now dark, and the police are there. They get Rachel out, along with Samara. Noah says it's over, and Rachel is sitting in a like blanket on the side, thinking. Rachel can't understand how Anna could do that. Rachel just wants to go home. Noah hugs her, and they sit for a moment longer. He asks how long Samara lasted down in the well, and Rachel very calmly says, seven days. We zoom out, and we cut to Aiden on the floor at Ruthie's house. He's asleep, and Noah picks him up, carries him to the car, and he wakes up on the drive home. Aiden sees Noah and Rachel holding hands, and then Rachel is tucking him into bed. Noah goes to leave and says that she should call him, unless she's planning on renting a movie. She smiles, and he says that she should call him tomorrow, and he kisses her forehead. He leaves, and Rachel shuts the door. She showers, and we see all this muck going down the drain from when she was in the well. The next morning, Aiden wakes up, and Rachel is in bed with him. He asks if she has to be at work, and she says not today. He asks about Samara, and Rachel says they set her free. And Aiden sits up very quickly and says, why did you help her? Why did you do that? Rachel looks confused, and Aiden says you weren't supposed to help her. Rachel explains that Samara can't hurt him anymore. And then she sees Aiden also has a mark on his arm. His hasn't gone away. Aiden says you don't understand. She never sleeps. And his nose starts bleeding. We cut to Noah, and he's doing some work in his apartment. He picks up his coffee mug, and there's a ring around the paper that it was sitting on. The TV turns on, and it's static. Noah looks at it and slides his chair over. He gets up and goes over to the TV and shuts it off with the remote. He walks away, and it turns on again. It's the well. He gets a phone call, and we see Rachel calling him. Noah doesn't answer, and he goes closer to the television. Now we see Samara climbing out of the well. She's walking toward the camera. Noah looks scared and backs up. Rachel is driving and still calling Noah. Noah is sliding away from the television, and Samara climbs out of the TV. She's crawling toward him. He backs up, and she stands, and then she glitches, almost, and is, like, right in front of him, her hair covering her face. Noah is crawling away, and then Samara raises her head to look at him. He sees all the images, and his face contorts like Katie's did. Rachel arrives at his building and takes the stairs rather than the elevator. When she goes inside his place, the phone is ringing, and the place is a mess. She stops calling, and it looks like Noah's in his chair in front of the TV. Rachel slowly makes her way over and sees blood and water on the floor. She comes closer to the chair and turns it around. Noah is dead and has the same disfigured look that Katie had. Rachel goes to leave and sees Beth going up. She goes home, and Aiden is drying. She yells at him to go to his room, and then she takes the copy of the tape and breaks it and screams, What do you want from me? She throws it in the fireplace and turns on the fire. We see the tape burn, and Rachel just keeps saying, why me? She turns and then remembers that there's a copy of the tape under the couch. She gets it, and then we get a montage of what we know about Samara. Rachel realizes that she survived because she made a copy and Aiden watched it. She takes him so he can make a copy and they can give it to someone. Aiden says that she won't stop, she being Samara. And Aiden asks, what about the person we show it to? What happens to them? 
Rachel doesn't answer. We see the static screen and then images from the video rapidly and then a blank screen. And that is the end of The Ring. I freaking love this one so much. I definitely need to buy it on DVD because I think I would watch it all the time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, feel free to give it a like and subscribe. I can, it's really cool. So I do this on Anchor and now Anchor will tell you how many subscribers you have on Spotify. So if you listen on Spotify, uh, feel free to give it a subscribe and follow because that's how you know when I drop new episodes and I'm sure it can probably be confusing with my new four week on two week off schedule so make sure you get notified when episodes are live and if you want to be caught up with what I'm doing what I'm watching all that fun stuff you can follow the podcast on social media at m murder movies so that's m as in massacre murder movies on instagram and twitter I think that that is all that I have today. I'm very excited. Again, this is week four of my four week on, two week off. So I'll be off for the next two weeks and then I'll be on vacation, but I am planning to pre-record some stuff so the stuff gets uploaded. Uh, I get to go see Scream next week. So anyone else who's going to see Scream, I hope that you enjoy it. Follow me on socials and let me know your thoughts because I am super pumped for that one. Big Scream fan. I hope that You had a wonderful day or night whenever you're listening to this and remember to stay safe and stay spooky.